Are you hungry? We're about to explore why Italy is, for so many people, the most delicioso place on earth. Hi, I'm Rick Steves. For lunch, a gourmet tour guide based in Lucca recommends how to assemble the perfect Tuscan picnic. You might start with the different local hams. Why not have a slice or two of Parma, a slice or two of San Daniele, for instance, and a slice or two of Tuscan ham? Jamie Blair Gould helps you go beyond the handful of items you might recognize at the deli counters in Italy to help assemble one of the best picnics of your life, complete with a view of the Tuscan countryside. And Italian food devotee Fred Plotkin clues us harried Americans into the ways Italians turn dinner into a life-affirming hour, or two, or three. And you come away from it thinking, that was time well spent. And oh yes, we had some of the best food on earth. Spend the next hour with us as we learn how to make any meal a real occasion, Italian style. It's travel with Rick Steves. Buongiorno, I'm Rick Steves. Today's travel with Rick Steves might make you hungry, not only for the food you'll find in Italy, but for the whole Italian experience of bringing a real sense of occasion to any meal. An Epicurean tour guide from Tuscany will take your calls in a bit at 877-333-7425. He'll help us assemble the perfect Tuscan picnic complete with picture postcard views of vineyards and villas in the hills of central Italy. Let's start today with a fresh visit from Fred Plotkin. Each of his visits with us here at Travel with Rick Steves inspires us to recognize how the cuisine is an entree into the history, culture, and personality of Italy. His book, Italy for the Gourmet Traveler, is, for me, the definitive guide to Italian cuisine. As one of the original proponents of what's called the slow food movement, Fred has spent decades getting acquainted with the local specialties coming out of the kitchens throughout Italy. Fred, thanks for joining us. Thank you. When I go to Italy time and time again, I'm just astounded by how the Italians know how to go out and make the whole evening kind of a a beautifully organized experience and memory and event in itself, socially and culturally and with the wine and the food and everything. For you, what's the big-picture structure of a good evening in good Italian style? Well, I think it's fair to say that Italy has its problems. They're well documented in the news going back at least 2,000 years. And therefore, the Italians have had to accommodate the constant turmoil in the politics and other things in their society by making moments pleasurable. And so starting with just the very idea that if you and I, Rick, meet in a bar in Milan for a cup of espresso, inevitably I will say, I'll do it, faccio io, and you'll say, no, 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 I'll do it. And then because I said it first, I will pay. But this moment of coffee is a moment of pause. It's a moment of socialization. And what the Italians are fantastic at are these moments and then these evenings and then these lifetimes of intimacy and socialization. And Italians do this over meals. When an Italian says to you, andiamo a cena, let's go eat, what it's saying is you and I merit time together. And at the meal, we will enjoy slowly the meal. We will enjoy each other's company. We will enjoy the beautiful women, the handsome men, the well-dressed people, the adorable children, the lovely old people. And the whole evening is about activating your senses to bring in all of that. And you come away from it thinking, that was time well spent. Mm. And oh yes, (laughs) we had some of the best food on earth. And in a lot of cases, my favorite Italian restaurants, when I think about it, are personality-driven restaurants. A chef named Bobo in Florence, or Claudio in Rome, or Maurizio in Assisi. What is your take on the appropriateness of the proprietor to be there as part of the whole experience? Well, in Italy... Whatever the profession of a person is, they inevitably take great pride in their work. This is something that we in other countries, including ours, I think, lose track of sometimes, that if you do something, it has to be the best that you can produce. It cannot be middle level. So if you're sewing a hem on a pair of trousers, it has to be the most perfect hem. If you are preparing a bowl of pasta... You're putting all of your love, your experience, your personality into it because the person who receives it is going to, in effect, say, this was prepared with love for me. So when the proprietor or the chef comes out of the kitchen, 
it's not to check, in effect, is everything okay, but are we happy? And happy may be about the food, it may be about the evening. It's also a means of thanking the person who was dining for his or her custom, for, for being a customer there. Therefore, that's fine. In our celebrity culture here in the United States, we have so-called star chefs. And they are on TV one day. They're in one of their restaurants in New York the next, the day after in Las Vegas, the day after in Hong Kong, the day after in Dubai. And it's as if they have to put in appearances to be recognized from television, but they're not hands-on in the kitchen. In Italy, there's almost no star chefiness. There's one guy, and I won't even mention him, mm -hmm. and he's an embarrassment to most Italians. They don't mm -hmm. look at him. The idea that you go back to a place because the person you love and respect is in the kitchen cooking for you is why you go to that restaurant. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Fred Plotkin, and his book is Italy for the Gourmet Traveler. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. And Jeff is on the line in Brunswick, Georgia. Jeff, thanks for your call. I guess we were hoping to do our first trip to Italy next year. We like to splurge, and we want to know if it's possible to get a healthy five-course dinner anywhere. And what would you suggest? Well, if you're splurging, I don't know how healthy it needs to be, which is to say that my cardiologist just did his first trip to Italy, and I planned it for him. And I said, I will only do this trip for you if you promise me that you'll have carbonara in Rome one night, which is eggs and ham and cream and all that. And he did, and he's fine. He survived, and he's much happier as a result of that. Do you have an idea when you're going? Early spring. Well, I would part of Italy. Oh, good. Then I would send you to Freely Venezia Giulia which is the Northeast, because Friuli Venezia Giulia has all kinds of products that appear at that time of the year only. Lots of spring herbs, lots of wonderful vegetables, certain fishes that only come around then. The cuisine is very elegant, but without being snobby. In other words, just the natural understanding of what food can do and should do is at a very high level there, and they're great at pairing food and wine. And in Italy, there are two approaches. One is you could say, I have enough budget for one bottle of excellent wine, and I will have to select foods that pair with the wine. Or you can say, these are the dishes I would like, and I would like a different glass of wine with each dish because they all pair differently. What happens at the end of the meal is you're often offered something called a vino da meditazione. In other words, a meditation wine. It might be more concentrated in fragrance. It might have a stronger taste. It comes in a smaller portion. And you sip it and you meditate. In Italy, they do not hurdle you out of a restaurant the way it happens in America to turn the table. If you're at the table, it's yours. And therefore, you can just meditate on the whole meal, on the experience. And then they might, if you wish, offer you a grappa, a stronger uh, distillate made from grapes. I tend not to have it. I will have my meditation wine and then conclude with an espresso. Jeff, have that meditation wine. I think that's a great idea. Have a good time, Jeff. Thanks for your call. Thank you. Jane's on the line in Sheboygan, Michigan. Jane, thanks for your call. Hi. I was just in Italy earlier this month, and while I was in Florence, I did a evening cooking lesson. I loved it. It was just the best food I'd ever had and was so surprised at how light milky could be. Now, I would like to go back to Italy and take another cooking lesson. My husband, I think, would rather skip it. What kind of criteria would I use in assessing a cooking school before I went there? I would encourage you first to think about the region you want to go to. I think a great place to go that is developing now and has many good cooking schools is Puglia. That's the heel of the Italian boot, okay. specifically the town of Lecce, a beautiful town. And they have many cooking schools there and wonderful seafood, food of the land. And it's a wonderful spot to be. It's called the Florence of the South. Fred, for a, a busy tourist, if you just have an afternoon or an evening, are, are these like cooking experience is limited to a day, or is it actually enlisting in a school? Well, there are many different ways to do it. You can go for a three-hour class in one place, and often they'll take you to the market before you'll shop and then cook what you've purchased. Or uh, in Bologna and Rome and Torino and other places, 
there are week-long courses where people go every morning. They learn other things. They gather all the recipes. They learn how to shop. They learn how to cut food, which is mm -hmm. so important, how to smell and identify when something is ripe mm -hmm. and perfect. And then you tend to go out to a couple of restaurants in addition. So for the deeply gastronomic type who would go to Italy just for that, that would be the recommendation. But you can also go for one three-hour class. I've noticed that these are quite popular and quite practical for travelers, and there's a great demand for that. It's just the afternoon or the morning class. A lot of times they'll spend the afternoon shopping and cooking, and then they'll spend the evening eating it. It's not cheap. That's the problem. It's going to yeah. cost you quite a bit. Any thoughts on that? Well, there's another key question. Is it hands-on or do you watch? Mm -hmm. Because many places have teachers who stand there and cook in front of you and you watch the cooking. Hmm. To me, value for money comes if you get to cut food yourself and saute it and learn how to do it. Otherwise, you're watching a show. So if a school charges a certain amount, but you know that it's hands-on, then I think it's worth it. All right. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Sure. Thank you, Jane. Bye. Fred, in your book, you write that visiting cafes is a great way to discover the city. How so? Depending what cafe you've wandered into, you get a different slice of local society. If, for example, you're in Milan, in wealthy Milan in the banking district, you'll see people who are, look like they're off the fashion runway, and they will stand, and you watch the body language of the bankers and how their shoulders are a bit stiff and how they sort of move around one another because they may be friendly, but they may also be business rivals. That's very different from being, say, in Bologna, where you see two lovely women walking arm in arm down the street and then looking at one another, pausing and say, let's have a coffee. And mm -hmm. then they'll sit down and they'll continue their conversation and men and women will watch them they will occasionally look at other people. In Italy, people watching is not only not rude, it's practically required because it is this interaction. It's not just about jealousy. It's about certain sexual subtext. It's about knowing, gee, that person looks good in that dark red. Mm -hmm. Maybe mm -hmm. that dark red is something I should wear. Italians are tuned into sensuality, not just in the sexual concept, but in every way. And as tourists, we can get a little dose of that quality of life, that celebration for sensuality when we approach cuisine in Italy as an entree to the culture itself. Fred Plotkin, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Rick. You can often find links for listening to program extras, tasty little bits that didn't make it into our actual program, in the radio section of our website. Up next, we're heading into the bucolic countryside of Tuscany, armed with the perfect Tuscan picnic, and with the help of local tour guide Jamie Blair Gould. We're at 877-333-RICK. And share your favorite ingredients for the perfect picnic in Tuscany at our online message board. It's in the radio section at ricksteves.com. There's no shortage of inspiration in Italy when it comes to eating well. In a country known for regional specialties, let's turn our focus now on to Tuscany in the middle of the country. Jamie Blair Gould comes to us from his home base in the picturesque medieval walled town of Lucca. That's where Jamie and his wife are raising their family and where they organize gourmet tours for visitors to the Italian countryside. Jamie, thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks, Rick. It's nice to be back in Seattle. 
You know, Jamie, when you travel in Europe, a lot of people, you know, they're burdened by the high costs and they wish their dollar was stronger. They sometimes forget that you can really enjoy some high cuisine in the picnic realm. Oh, I think this is often the very best cuisine <laughs> yeah. you get from the markets. Even the stores are, are fantastic and not at all expensive. Um, there's absolutely no need to be eating in restaurants all the time. So let's say you got champagne taste for food, but uh, popper's budget. How can we make picnic cuisine high cuisine? Uh, very easily. I would say that there are a few rules here. Um, it helps a lot to think ahead. I've seen many of my clients when they go ahead and they get to the counter and uh, they're intimidated. There's somebody behind, there's somebody back there, and they end up pointing out the, the cooked ham and the cheese and the bread that they know. And so they end up eating what they would have done in the United States. That happens to me. I go to the place that's the hottest place in town for your beautiful cheese and salami. And at lunchtime, all the local office workers are lined up there to get their sandwich. But you get caught up in a, in a swirl and you're not good with the language. And, and the merchant's going, he's kind of impatient. He's got to make his money. And I just end up pointing out the Emmental, you know, and it's, that's a real loss. Exactly. So I would think if you really seriously want a picnic, even if you just want to sack lunch, a, a, a panino, a sandwich, then I would think ahead what you might like. And for instance, um, if you're going to have cheese, why not have um, three ages of pecorino, the sheep's cheese, a mature one, uh, a very young one, a fresh one, and, and, and a middle one with some honey and figs. Honey and figs. So you could actually have on a little piece of paper, you could talk it over with the guy at your hotel desk, and you say, okay, I want to get three ages of pecorino, honey, and figs. You could actually have that strategy, that plan, and then you step into that deli, bam, you're going to get it. Absolutely. Or you might have to go to a couple of stores and go right. to the, the cheese man and said, what, what I also would do is just to have a, a few terms like, for instance, since we're on a cheese uh, um, <laughs> bent here, you can think that a slice, una feta, which is a cheese. Una feta. So you just think of the Greek cheese feta. It means a slice. Ah. And um, this and that, questo o quello. Questo o quello. I'm learning. This is cool. So you don't need to Old, be, young, strong, Exactly. Mild. Vecchio. Strong. Giovani. Forte. And he'll, he'll understand pecorino, right. and you can say forte, strong, and uh, dolce, soft. But just have a few words. You don't need to speak Italian. Can you take a taste? Oh, always. What's the word? Well, he'll just do it anyway. Do I, it. I, I wouldn't <laughs> even have a word. I would just... Uh, or I think the, the very first word I always teach anybody on any of our tours is uh, can I? Posso. Posso. Can I? And you put your fingers to exactly. your lips. Exactly. Posso. And, and you, you have a rewarding experience. When the person understands that you know a little bit... They're more keen to offer you things. Yeah, they're probably excited. You've got a, a sophisticated tourist here. Absolutely. Who appreciates the fine differences because I've noticed when I interview these guys, they are so passionate about the quality of their prosciutto. And they talk to me as if I'm an Italian. Like, I really appreciate the difference between Abruzzo and Piedmonte or something Well, one like of the that. things I like to do is comparative tastings. I mean, I do a lot of uh, wine tastings, and it, you can do the same with food. So if you're going to have... Prosciutto, for instance, prosciutto crudo, the raw ham, why not have a slice or two of Parma, a slice or two of San Daniele, for instance, and a slice or two of, of Tuscan ham? And then you can decide which you like best. That is so much better than just brainlessly pointing to the big round uh, ball of meat there. Really? All right. I'm talking with Jamie Blair Gould. We're talking about the perfect Tuscan picnic. Jamie, we're talking about Tuscan as opposed to Italian. What is the difference when you're well, making a picnic? Uh, I think Tuscany is very in vogue, and Tuscan food is particularly in vogue at the moment. But uh, I think the glorious thing about Italy is that every single region is delicious. I happen to live in Tuscany, and I do like the food there, but uh, I think every region is interesting. I mean, you're going to get brisaola, you're going to get prosciutto, you're going to get mortadella in every region. and these. Um, but then you're going to get the particular things. For instance, the great salami of mm -hmm. Tuscany is finocchiona. And uh, it's fennel-encrusted salami. And there's a beautiful story to this. Is uh, When I was in Volterra in a little wine bar recently, they said it's typical of the Florentines. A trick is that um, fennel destroys your taste buds. So what they used to do before giving you the wine is to give you some finocchiona, which is with fennel in it, so that you couldn't tell whether their wine was good or bad. No, but that's it's devious. It's absolutely delicious. The <laughs> finocchiona are really juicy and... So let's say you're a wealthy uh, big shot in Milano and you're going to one of these very expensive uh, delis. What is yes. it, Pex or something exactly, like this? Yeah. Yes. And you, you just want the very best. What sort of Tuscan beautiful thing would find its way that a Milanese guy would actually ask for? I want this Tuscan style. Um, 
Well, I think particular Tuscan dishes. I mean, I, I don't think Milanese would necessarily, because they know their own dishes and possibly don't right. know the Tuscan so well. Ah. But if I was doing a Tuscan picnic, for instance, the um, finocchione, as I said, mm-hmm. um, is very, very Tuscan. The the pecorino, particularly from uh, Pienza, is where they uh, supposedly the best is. Then there are the, the little salads, for instance, like panzanella, the bread salad, which I'm sure you've had at some stage, Rick. The old bread, which they, mm-hmm. they soak, dry out, mix with uh, cucumber, spring onions, tomato, mint, basil. Now, now, you bring up something very important here, Jamie, how to break out of just the, the sandwich, the panino rut, when you're yeah. making a picnic. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and one thing I would like to say, and if you don't want to upset your guy behind the counter, is not to ask for mayonnaise or butter or anything like that. And don't put cheese and ham together. Don't I mean, put cheese and ham together. Well, their, their feeling is that if they've aged these hams for four years, right. they don't want you to stick a slab of gruyere on the top of it. Um, <laughs> you could and, have it on the same meal, but you'd want to keep them separate. Absolutely, okay, yes. Good. I mean, you might not want it in a panino. You might want to get some bread on the side. Okay, but these are great cold cuts, great cheese, great meat, great yeah. bread. What's the easy way to make it feel more than just a sandwich? Salads you would get? Uh, uh, of course. And I'd say exactly the same thing is that uh, when you go to the uh, salad man in the market or in the supermarket even, is uh, don't just get the tomato you know. Get several tomatoes. Do a little tasting of them. Mm-hmm. You've got the big, uh, what they call cestino or, or whatever. They're big salad tomatoes mm-hmm. rather than the cooking tomatoes. Then they have the little datterini, for instance, the little juicy tomatoes. You can get a collection of those, yeah. uh, slice them all up, and just pour some olive oil and salt on. And you can go to a rostisseria and get cooked, fixed-up dishes to go. I, I get the sense that these high-powered, big-city professionals, they don't have time to cook at home, but they want to have you know something nicely cooked. They'll stop by a rostisseria. Rosticeria, see. Rosticeria. Um, yeah, and again, I would, if you're going to do that, rather than getting chicken, which you yeah. know, is have something different like the spiadine, the skewers, which have a little bit of the wonderful Tuscan grilled sausage, uh, a little bit of pork, etc. And they often put bell peppers and pieces of bread because mm-hmm. it soaks up the juices. Um, so, I, again, I would always go for something a little bit different. Don't okay. be intimidated to get the thing that you know. You could complement your your fine sandwich with a salad, a local salad, a fresh salad. And made again, the, the same thing with the salad. Don't don't no iceberg. But you get it in the in the little plastic tin to go at the rusti. How do you say it? Rusticeria. Rusticeria. So the, you're stopping at several stops just as part of the joy of putting together your picnic. If you wanted to do it that way, absolutely. I mean, you could do a one stop place, and you could do it also in the supermarket in Tuscany. There's a there's a wonderful chain of supermarkets called S Lunga, which means the long S, which is their logo. The quality of their food, their just prepared food, is because uh, they do it daily. It's great. So they'll have fresh panzanella, the salad, the what they call farro, which is uh, a lot of people say it's spelt, but it's actually a emo wheat, which is an old Indo-European wheat, which they used to eat, the Romans used to eat, the Etruscans used to eat. And it's a little like barley, but not so slimy. Hmm. They cook this, cool it down, and then they mix this with various things, uh, even a little seafood. Mm. And so you can just get a little tub of this to have cold. So you can get a a few tubs of little pre-prepared food, which isn't canned. It's just to be eaten that day. And even quality supermarkets will have some excellent offers. You know, you're a tour guide, and I'm just thinking about this because I've had years of taking groups through Italy. And you put together your palaces and your castles and your museums and your galleries and your viewpoints, and then you just slam down a lunch. The lunch could be a cultural experience as well, and it can be in this picnic sense. Florence, I was just in Livorno. All of these cities have wonderful markets. Oh, well, the central market in Florence is one of my favorites. It's a, it's a feast on all the senses, and then you, you meet people, you taste stuff, and you buy your little picnic, and then you find a nice spot to sit and enjoy it. If you're bent on viewing something doing, come to Florence. Where is life more active and attractive than in Florence? Where are people singing and swinging, but in I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're joined by Jamie Blair Gould, and Jamie's a tour guide that specializes in appreciating the cuisine of Italy with his groups. So, Jamie, I've noticed that different guys who run delis and so on are passionate about the quality of their cheese and their, and their ham and their meat. What about the bread? Well, a lot of people don't like what they call Tuscan bread, and the reason is is because it's saltless, and there are three reasons for that. The first is that um, because a lot of the Tuscan food is salty, that they wanted a neutral base. And that's one of the things to bear in mind. If you're eating anchovies and salty food and prosciuttos, you don't want some sort of greasy, salty bread. Another is the fact that um, when the bread dries out because it doesn't have salt, then um, you can crumble it up almost like couscous 
And ah. you can make pastas with it, all the panzanella, the bread salad I was referring to. And the third reason, which is the most important, is the Pope had the salt tax and they were damned if they were going to pay the Pope uh, his tax for salt. So they were just part of the culture is this unsalted, is it a sourdough? Casalingo, no, it's not. Um, but just like with anything else, there are good versions and not so good versions. But it's not the only choice. Of course, there is the, uh, you know, in Liguria, they have, of course, the focaccio, which is that very oh, chewy yeah. olive oil bread. In um, Florence, they call it um, schiacciata. And uh, it's a, a very, very chewy kind of bread as well. But again, I, I think it's nice to have a few pieces of that. But again, don't fall into the trap of having too many flavours. Sometimes it's nice to have a, a more neutral bread to show off the, the, the oil of the fats. I was just thinking a popular treat for a lot of locals is just have your bread with olive oil and salt. Well, exactly. I mean, it, it always amuses me on my tours. In the, here in the United States, you go to an Italian restaurant and it's something they make out as being fine dining to have uh, on a bone china plate. And they bring in olive oil and ah, balsamic vinegar with it, which <laughs> Italians would never do. But uh, in Italy, it's just literally something that you would mop up. They call it making the little shoe in Italian. Uh, and What's you literally mop it up, um, fare la scapetta. You're, you're just kind of mopping up the oil and making the little shoe with your bread and uh, munching away and chatting Absolutely. Away. And if you're going to have a salad, for instance, um, rather than making a dressing or something, just buy one of those. In the markets, you can buy just a tiny quarter-litre bottle of olive oil. It costs very little. It's usually very, very good. So rather than making up a dressing, you can go along to the market and don't buy iceberg lettuce. Buy those radicchios and the uh, what you call arugula over here, rucola in Italian. We call it rocket in England for some reason. So you reason. moved from Britain to Italy. It sounds like you're enjoying uh, oh, eating your way through it. <laughs> so you're set up and, and you know the cuisine. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're eating our way through Tuscany right now with Jamie Blair Gould. Let's go to our callers. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. And Daphne's on the phone from Kensington, Maryland. Daphne, thanks for your call. Sure, thank you. Um, yeah, so I had a couple of questions. We're going to be in Florence... And I was wondering if you could recommend particular markets or merchants we could go to for the picnic? Absolutely. Um, I mean, you really can't go wrong with the central market in Florence, close to where the leather market is. And okay. there's a huge, big central covered market, and the, the produce is fantastic in there. You, you needn't escape from it. You can get everything for your picnic right there. San Lorenzo area, isn't it? It's the San Lorenzo area, but it's known yeah. as the central, central. market, yeah. Mercato Centrale. And you step in there, and it's sort of a 19th century steel and glass kind of uh, exactly. building. Exactly. It's a beautiful building. Beautiful building, and just a cacophony of sounds and smells it's and the energy. cathedral of gastronomy. It really is. <laughs> you know, right, right next to the, the Borgello and the Medici Palace and the Uffizi and Michelangelo's David, you've got this celebration of beautiful Italian ingredients. Great. So do you have particular merchants that you like there, or are they all... Well, the, 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 I, would, I would trust your senses. I mean, I could pick out a few for you, but I would trust your senses. Wander around. Don't be in a hurry. If you are over there and you're going to have a picnic, spend the time. Get a few of the phrases that you need ahead of time to, to use. Don't be rushed into it. And I, I just absolutely love wandering around the market and seeing who has the best, the freshest. I mean, you know, if you look, you'll see what's the best. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm just asking because there are these people who do these market tours and charge like a lot of money. I honestly and don't think, I think you can trust your senses, but yeah. what I would recommend, I would recommend learning a few phrases. For example, a slice, una fetta. I mean, it's like the Greek cheese, fetta. It's so okay. easy. You don't need to, to learn Italian, but this and that, questo mm. a quello. I mean, it's so easy because you're going to be pointing. So what I would do is imagine yourself in front of the store before you go there because... You tend to go up there and somebody's behind and the guy's speaking a different language. You're intimidated and you end up pointing to the, the cheese and the ham that you know. Mm -hmm. um, so I would think ahead of time what, what it is you like. And then you can go up and use your little Italian. And it's fun. And what I've always found in Italian, Italians are born with a gene that wants to make you eat. And uh, <laughs> they will, they will um, once they know that you're interested in something and their food, they will spend all day with you. That is so true. They want you to eat. In fact, Daphne was asking about what's a favorite merchant. Well, I don't know which ones have the best produce, but I do have a few favorites when it comes just to free samples in that market. Oh, okay. oh yes, yes, and, yes. And, I mean, you can actually fill up on these free samples and uh, with, without even knowing it. I mean, there's so many people shoving great food at you. They just wanted you to try it. 
That sounds like fun. And then my last question is, and some of these books I've read about, I think it's like 10-year-old balsamic vinaigrettes, and I'm not sure if the oils also have different ages. Can you well, not, not, not like always. wine or something? Yes, well, balsamic vinegar is a subject that I'm very um, particular about because there's a lot of really nasty stuff which isn't balsamic vinegar. Quite frankly, if it ain't expensive, mm. it ain't good. Okay. Ah. That's it's, pretty good, yeah. And so... I mean, a, a lot of it is just really very sweet stuff, and and if you're oh, if you've okay. got good olive oil, why on earth mix it with some sweet, uh, sticky well, uh, balsamic vinegar? Th- that's pretty good. Then just focus on the olive oil and and don't really worry too much about the vinegar. Well, yes, or or if you really want, I mean, it's I, I highly recommend taking a decent bottle of balsamic vinegar back home rather mm-hmm. than buying wine or olive oil. I would take a very good bottle mm-hmm. and just use it sparingly. Mm-hmm. I mean, one drop is enough to flavor a, a beef steak or a piece of fish, but it's got to so, be expensive. All right, so just, and as far as the olive oil, just pick what I like, just get taste and just take my Well, the, like. the, the olive oil, I mean, you want something in Tuscany, you're not going to go wrong. If it's a good store, they are proud of their olive oil, and okay. it's not expensive. And uh, if you're not eating it up, you should be. Yeah. All right. And how do you ship it home with what with the thing about now liquids on airplanes? You put it in your suitcase? Yes, that's why I say a little bowl of balsamic vinegar. I mean, a little goes a long way, and then you can sort of wrap it up in your... Washing your and, dirty and laundry. And Daphne, the, uh, the the no liquids on airplanes is for carrying on. You can only right. carry a little bit on, but you can check as much as you want. I'm I'm just worried about if it breaks. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah, <laughs> that's well, what worries me. Well, we'll wrap it up in bubble wrap and everything else, and put it in the middle of your your bag. But I wouldn't take olive oil and wine. I it's not worth it. You can get good bottles here. Yeah. Okay. Daphne, Great. thanks Thank for you. your call. Good luck you eating much. on your next trip. Okay. Bye bye. Bye now, Jamie. When people compare French and Italian, it's always, you know, uh, the French have their beautiful sauces and their fancy heritage, and the Italians just are passionate about the ingredients. If you were to distill it right down, what is your thought on that? Well, I think when we think of classical French cuisine, we're talking about a very rich, saucy, um, high cuisine. But uh, I certainly enjoy having picnics in France as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they're certainly a very different. I mean, I would have the, the soft cheeses and the pâtés and uh, the baguette and uh, various other things there. But the picnic would be very different in Italy. How so? It'll be cold cuts, uh, affettati as they call them, prosciutto, salamis, and then it would be various cheeses of different types. I mean, it might be some soft cheeses like taleggio, but uh, more I, I would think of the like the pecorino, the sheep's cheeses. And even my favorite eating cheese is um, parmesan. We tend to think of parmesan yeah, as a grating say, cheese. Yeah, I it's a grating cheese. Well, what you have over here tends to be much harsher, harsher, more Older. aged yeah. that goes on it. But um, it forms a really, really wonderful eating cheese. Now, there's a very good point because we just think of Parmesan as something really old and sharp, but there would be a milder Parmesan. Oh, there's very, very creamy, and that's what usually you would get. And if you go up to the cheese counter, they will cut a little piece off for you to taste. Jamie and his wife Nina offer food-themed guided tours in Italy. There's more information at papillonselect.com. That's P-A-P-I-L-L-O-N, as in the French word for butterfly. Jamie shares more ideas for eating well, Italian style, in just a moment, here on Travel with Rick Steves. Jamie Blair Gould is helping us put together the perfect Tuscan picnic on Travel with Rick Steves. We're at 877-333-7425. To what degree is all of this choice of bread and, and meat and cheese seasonal? I know fruits and vegetables obviously would be seasonal. Meats and cheeses, less so, of course, certainly meats. Uh, Cheeses, if you're really getting into the specifics, which I often do, then yes, you could get an alpine cheese that's from a certain period. But I think certainly the fruit and vegetable would be much more. That's where you want to be more careful about Absolutely. And are you likely just, if you just kind of pay attention, will you have the mushrooms and the asparagus out when it's seasonal? So it's hard to go wrong unless you insist on getting strawberries in the wrong time. Well, the Italians tend to eat the food of the season. So you will see, I mean, if you're going to get fruit, for instance, don't get the bananas and things you know so well. I mean, in the spring, there's all these different types of cherries. And again, comparative tasting, you'll see these things, Gudaroni, which are a particular type of cherry. Then there are others. Why not just get a small amount of two types? And then you can compare them. Other things, figs when they're in season, and every fig looks completely different. I mean, I would certainly recommend having the most unctuous of fruits, juicy, (laughs) sensual. (laughs) Spoken like a true gourmet. Jamie Blair Gould. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. Holly's on the line in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Hi, nice to 
speak with you. Yeah. Um, I enjoy wines from Montalcino and Montepulciano, and we're planning a fall trip through the Tuscan hill towns, and we would like to tour some of the local wineries and you know, bring something back that we can't purchase here. My feeling on buying wine is that you've got to know when you want to drink it. A lot of people buy expensive older wines, and they're not ready. If you're going to bring it home and drink it um, relatively quickly when you get back, you're going to want something that's uh, approachable. Um, right. To me, it's a, a, a sad day when I open a bottle of wine and think, gosh, that's going to be good in another five years. Mm. So I always talk to people who sell these things, know it, and uh, mm. I would get them to say, to tell them what you want. I want to drink it um, about six months after I get back. I mean, whatever happens, if you're carrying wine home, you have to leave a little time because the, the wine's in shock. Right. So um, if you tell them when you want to drink it, then I think they can, can help you a little bit more. What I would do is that in most towns, or if you're in Florence, for instance, or many of these ones, rather than going to a winery where you're only going to drink the wine from that winery, so you've got nothing to compare it to, I would go to one of these wine shops, for instance, in Florence and Siena, serious wine shops, Many of them actually have a little bar where you can taste and you can ask the guy, you can say, often they speak English in these places, and you say you want to buy, can you taste them? And then you taste a variety of them and uh, then you home in a little bit as to what it is you want. Okay. Can you actually just drop into wineries like you can along the Rhine River or something not, like that? Not as easily in Italy, I have to say. It's a little bit more like... Uh, what I've seen here in the States, you know, it's better to book up in many situations. In France, often you just turn up and uh, they'll open a bottle and you can do it. In Italy, it's a little bit more regimented. You know, for me, the joy in Montalcino and Montepulciano is just sitting down in a good enoteca and really getting to try three very fine wines at the same time. I think that's exactly right. And then you can home in. A little bit of vocabulary doesn't harm either. If you can tell them what you like, I mean, if you want uh, you know, the favorite word is smooth. Um, but if you like it a little bit more fruity or you like it heavier or lighter, I, I prefer elegance and fruit over power. So it sounds pretentious, but it really not. It's helping the person who's trying to sell so you. So how do you? This is my, I've got a too limited vocabulary. I, I, I know when I drink a wine that it's just great for me. I, I just say Sagrantino because that's a wine I love in Umbria. And they go, oh, this is the Tuscan Sagrantino. That's a way to kind of compare but I don't know how to say anything more than dry, sweet, or corposo. Well, I think elegant is a good word. Elegant. I mean, I, they, would, say, they would know what that means. I'd say elegance over power, for instance. Yeah. Is that it, the opposite it, of corposo? Well, corposo means it's got good body. It can still be, have a lot of body and be elegant at and the same about, time. What about complexity? Would they relate to that? Um, yes, they would. They would, but there will be complexity if it's corposo. In many of these anotecas, they've got these new dispensers where they've got like 30 different wines that are open, but they stay fresh because you just buy them by the deciliter, I think, and you yeah, get a, I mean, they're, a card. They're, Does that work? Well, they, they do work. They you know what I'm work. talking about? Yeah, absolutely, I know. Um, they, they do work, but still, if I see one which hasn't got much wine in it, it's at the end of the bottle, I'd be a bit reluctant to try that one. Mm -hmm. We were talking about the uh, central market in Florence. Just around there are a number of bars which you can go into, wine shops, and uh, they have lots of bottles open for you to try. And I think that's by that's far the best the, way. In fact, there's a great, a famous place next to the uh, Centrale Market in Florence. They've always got 10 or 15 great bottles exactly. open. You can tell by the clientele. These are professional local people that really are foodies. They come there for beautiful little sandwiches and a great glass of wine. They are actual wine shops, but I can't think of anything more sophisticated than walking around choosing wine with a glass of wine in my hand. I love that. <laughs> Holly, I hope that gives you some ideas. Yes, those are excellent ideas. Thank you very much. Thanks for your call. Bye-bye. <laughs> and Michelle's calling in from Franklin, Kentucky. Hi. I just was curious, after packing your basket with a perfect mix of Tuscan flavors, where do you suggest to be the best place to sit with that view of the authentic countryside of Tuscany, with the vineyards, the quaint villages, and uh, hopefully a great sunset? Oh, now that's the very important dimension to the picnic that really caps it, isn't it? Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've got the, the perfect picnic. You want the perfect location for it. Of course, it depends where you are. You aren't going to drive 100 miles once you bought the thing. Right. So, for instance, I mean, if you were in a town like my town of Luca, you could go up onto the walls of Luca, up on the bastions, the big fortified areas of the, the walls. There are actually picnic spots to have it on as well. Or you can drive into the countryside. It depends whether you've got a car, of course, or not. 
you know, a lot of times when the business day is done and everybody's getting kind of mellow, you can find yourself on a corner of a great market. And I just like to marvel at, in the evening, the, it's kind of twilight, the, there's some birds or bats out, I don't know, and you've got the, the commerce is done for the day and, and the, the mystique and the history is, is very apparent. And I'm sitting there relaxing and I've, I've just slowly worked my way through a beautiful picnic, pensive about that town. Yeah, and uh, thinking of Volterra, the main square in Volterra. Well, in Volterra, you just walk outside the walls. It is one big picnic spot, Volterra. You walk out of the walls, and there's just 101 different places where you can eat. But thinking of Florence again, if you're in Florence, I mean, you you look on the other side of the river, the Alterano, and you can see the hill up above the Bobbly Gardens, and it's not very difficult. You can see where the hill is, just walk behind there. You know, a lot of hotels have a loggia which is just an elegant place. And, uh, you know, if you're discreet, you can set up your picnic there and enjoy the sunset overlooking the square from the loggia of your hotel. Absolutely, yes. Sounds great. Wonderful suggestions. All right. Have you been to Italy with a picnic yet? I've not been to Italy, but we are planning our trip now, so I'm really looking forward to it. Very nice. Well, I think Jamie's got some beautiful tips, and uh, what I'm getting out of this is just... Treat those markets like the museums or the cultural uh, treasure chests of that corner of Europe. And uh, as Jamie said, have a plan. Know some things that you're interested in. Be armed with a little bit of vocabulary so you can talk to the merchant and get something other than, uh, you know, the, the default. Sounds great. Thank you. You bet. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're eating our way through Tuscany with the help of Jamie Blair Gould. Jamie is a tour guide that specializes in gourmet food itineraries. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. Stacy's on the line from Rome, Italy. Hi, Rick. Hi, Jamie. How are you tonight? Good. Hi. I guess it's... Hey, you're actually calling in from Rome? I actually am calling in from Rome. All right. How's, how's the weather there? Uh, it's a little cold, but not too bad at this time of year. And do you have a question or a comment for Jamie? I do have a question. My family is vegetarian, and when we're talking about all these beautiful markets, I'm wondering about putting together a vegetarian picnic for my family at these markets, and also how the slow food movement and locavore movement have really hit Tuscany and Italy in general. Hmm. Yeah, well, um, I'm not a vegetarian, although um, I could easily be. Um, then Italy's got to be one of the greatest places to be a vegetarian. I Why mean, so? Well, the cheeses, the fruit, the salads, everything. You, pasta. You, the pasta. You, you really don't need the meat. The wine. The wine, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then the slow food, how has that taken hold? Because you hear a lot about it, but does it really matter? I think it does. I mean, slow food was a total reaction against fast food. It was started up in um, Torino in Turin. Define it. What is slow food, actually? Slow food is, a, well, as I say, it's a reaction against fast food. In other words, fast food is get something down you quickly and get on where slow food is saying, forget all of that, let's just, it's the ingredients, um, it's the pleasure of eating. So eat locally grown food, eat organically grown food, take your time. Yeah, and cook it slowly. Don't eat it on the run. Don't eat in your car, eat with friends. Exactly. So it's a a philosophy of eating as well as a... And it's definitely caught on. You see it in uh, gelateria, you know, the ice cream shots. You see it in uh, numerous places. Little family-run restaurants brag about it. I mean, this is a slow food establishment. Oh, certainly if I see the sticker in the window, I pay attention. And why would you favor that? Because I realize that uh, they've merited it. They wouldn't have the sticker if they didn't merit it. Is it a sort of a sustainability issue or is it just a quality of eating experience issue? Um... Hopefully it'll stay true. It's like all of these right. um, awards. I mean, it's open to uh, all sorts of outside sources, of course, and hopefully the the guys that um, set it up will stay true to the fundamentals. But it feels like, I mean, when you patronize a slow food restaurant, you are patronizing something that is sustainable and, and, and good in that sense, but also you're eating more healthy and better tasting food. Oh, absolutely. Stacy, have you had any slow food uh, sort of experience in Rome? We actually tried to get to the local markets around here and look for the sticker that's on the stall that says directly from the farmer so we know kind of where it's coming from. So we definitely seek that out when we're in the markets in Rome so far. What's your favorite food market in Rome? Trianfale in in the Prati area is definitely my favorite so far. Yeah, and the good thing about Italy is that they usually have a little label on the uh, mm-hmm. to say where it's from. You often see it says Nostre, which means ours. Nostre. So if you look for food and it says Nostre, it's made in Italy. Well, it's, it's probably there. It's made, the, made literally right there. Theirs, yeah. yes. I mean, I've talked oh, to people in the countryside who run agriturismos, and 
they want to know the sheep from where the milk came that made their cheese. I mean, it's an amazing thing. Thanks for your call, Stacy. Thanks so much. Yeah. Okay. Bye now. Bye. Kimberly in Clovis, New Mexico. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Kimberly, have you enjoyed a, a picnic in, in Italy? I have, yes. I've been to uh, Cortona in Tuscany area and also San Gimignano in uh, the Tuscany area. And why did you enjoy those? Both of them are on, on top of hills or mountains, and the view is beautiful, along with having fresh bread and the Chianti wine and some smoked meats and cheeses. is just unimaginable in most places in the United States. It's gorgeous there. Cortona is a wonderful place that way, and I love these hill towns. You can sit there on, what is it, Piazza Garibaldi, and look out south. You can even see, I think, what can you see in the distance? Multipulciano or some, some other hill town. And then on the other side, right by the uh, Church of St. Catherine, I think you can look out and see... Trasimeno and everything. Oh, it's an, it's an amazing sort of perch, isn't it, Kimberly? Yes, it is. Take us to your spot for the picnic. What did you see when you looked out, and what were you eating? Um, what I was eating was fresh-made baguette bread, as well as some smoked meats with some Asiago cheese and some Chianti wine. And just looking out into the valley area, there was some vineyard and olive trees and sunflowers growing, and it was just a beautiful sight to look out and see nothing but beauty. It's kind of you're thoroughly in Italy, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> Eating, seeing, hearing, smelling, talking. It, what a wonderful sort of sensual experience. You had your Chianti wine. Jamie, you know, Chianti is basically a table wine generally, isn't it, when people talk about it? In oh, absolutely not. I mean, Chianti covers everything from simple wine to uh, uh, some of the best wines Was in, that right? in Italy. Okay. So, absolutely. So you think of this cheap flask of Chianti, but that's just the lower end of it. That, that's just an image in the past, the old fiasco, the little basket that went around it. Right. So when uh, when you're picking a picnic wine, what what do you target? Well, it depends. Frankly, if you're having a picnic at lunchtime, I wouldn't go anything too heavy. Right. I mean, otherwise the siesta will turn into uh, night. <laughs> um, I would have something light, and you don't need to go expensive. In fact, one of the fun things to do is to actually go to one of the to these places where they have what they call svuzo, vino svuzo, which means loose wine. And either you take a bottle along, or they'll they'll pour it. Is oh loose wine meaning they don't? You bring your own bottle in. You bring your own bottle in, or they'll provide it for you know fifty cents or something wow. a, a plastic bottle. And uh, I think it's good because you're getting something very light and fruity. It's a uh, minimal alcohol level mm-hmm. and not something that's going to send you to sleep. But you can drink a lot of it and wash down the cheese and and bread nicely. And it shows off the grape very nicely. Of course, it's not sophisticated, but you're not uh, meaning it to be. Come to think of it, a friend of mine stopped with me at a what I thought was a filling station outside of Orvieto. And uh, it was just the same hardware as a gas pump, it seemed like. And they were filling up the loose wine. What do you call it? Svuzo. It was like one euro per liter. It can be very, Cheaper very Cheaper than Coca-Cola, but, you know. Uh, you know, some are better than others, but <laughs> if it's a reputable wine shop... Well, then, it was um, good enough for the locals there. They're filling up absolutely. their bottles with gusto at this uh, loose yeah, wine uh, shop. Absolutely. Kimberly, when you're having your uh, picnic, did you have a dessert? We um, went and had gelato. Okay, that's a nice way to cap favorite. it. All right. Yes. Kimberly, thanks for your call. Thank you. Bye-bye. So, Jamie, speaking of dessert, if you wanted to really get into the local, uh, you know, dessert cuisine and you wanted to let that be an element of your picnic, what would you recommend? Well, I think a good way is just to, to have fruit for with the actual picnic. And then you're going to need a coffee afterwards anyway. So shake off the crumbs, wander down to the local cafe where they might have a pasticceria as well. And, uh, you know, have one of the little local treats with a, with a coffee. But uh, Italians tend to eat fruit anyway. And mm-hmm. I think... It, Particularly if you're having a picnic, I think things like figs work so, so well with cheeses, with hams. And also, if you are having cheeses, something like uh, honey, the local honey is a very good thing to have with the pecorino cheese as well. Honey, olive oil, figs. You've inspired me to go a little bit beyond picnicking 101 next time I'm in Tuscany. Jamie Blair Gould, buon appetito. Thank you very much. Grazie, Rick. Voglio cannelloni per me, si per me. Un pochino te ne darò, sì per te Triste la tua dieta, quasi tutto esclude Quanti sacrifici Some travelers prefer their views from two wheels rather than four. Bicycle adventurer Willie Weir joins us with another of his audio postcards from his adventures around the world. I met Bhagwati in an ice cream shop in Banswara, Madhya Pradesh in India, and he invited me to spend the night at his home. A small, frail man with more salt-and-pepper hair and a smile that revealed missing and tobacco-stained teeth. 
After 35 years, he had retired from the railway service. He showed me the chair he'd occupied for three and a half decades, earning a top salary of 2,000 rupees a month. That evening, we walked the streets and stopped at the city park, where several food vendors were set up around the perimeter of a large fountain. Bhagwati took me on a tour of Indian fried foods, sampling the dishes at each stall. And although I was the rich American, it was apparent from the start I would not be allowed to spend one rupee while his guest. He asked which was my favorite dish, and he ordered a large plate, chickpeas in a delightful spicy sauce. While contemplating how I was ever going to finish, he mentioned we'd be eating supper at the home of his dear friends, owners of the local sweet shop. Supper? I thought it was eating supper. Thirty minutes later, with my stomach already at Thanksgiving fullness, I was served a large vegetarian tali. This plate of food looked more insurmountable than any mountain pass I'd ever climbed. I dug in with mock enthusiasm and chewed and swallowed and smiled. Then Bhagwati dropped the bomb. He leaned over and whispered, You must finish that and ask for more, or they will be offended. I was stunned and began to sweat, not from the spice, but from gastronomical fear. But via a small miracle, I finished my plate and a second helping and sighed, my stomach as tight as a snare drum. Victory was mine. Then our hostess entered with a platter. Sweets. I'd forgotten the sweets. The livelihood of this family and the ultimate insult if I refused. Couldn't Bhagwati explain I'd like a large box to go? I picked a cream-colored chunk as dense as Christmas fudge and imagined it as light and airy as cotton candy. My taste buds had ceased to function, but I praised it as food of the gods and managed to slip the last piece to the family dog to who I owe my life. The question no longer appeared to be whether I'd survived the dangers and mishaps of foreign travel, but whether I'd survived the hospitality. Willie's website is willyweird.com and we provide web links to all our guest sites each week in the radio section of ricksteves.com. Travel with Rick Steves is produced at Europe through the back door in Edmonds, Washington by Tim Tatton with Sarah McCormick. Thanks to the Radio Foundation in New York for their studio help today. You'll find more about this week's show in the radio section of ricksteves.com, where Fred Plotkin reveals his favorite regions for eating in Italy and the historic cafe in Padova, which he likes best. And join us again next week for more Travel with Rick Steves. Questo o quello. Each year, Rick Steves' tour guides take free-spirited travelers on escorted tours through Italy and beyond, one small group at a time. This year, we're featuring tours of Venice, Florence, and Rome, the heart of Italy, Village Italy, South Italy, and Sicily. For a free catalog and Rick's Tour Experience DVD, visit the tour pages at ricksteves.com.